Welcome to No Challenges Remaining. During the second week of the U.S. Open, I'm Ben Rothenberg, gone from my beautiful East Coast, back to her dwelling on the West. It's Courtney Nguyen. Courtney, I miss you already. Miss you too, Benji. We will have a fuller U.S. Open catch-up. Lots to talk about at this tournament. All sorts of things. Children going deep into draws. (laughs) All sorts of other stuff happening. Novichokovic marching on towards his uh, bid. He's two matches away as we record this on Wednesday night after beating Berrettini in four. But we're mostly on this episode going to talk... Well, most of this episode consists of a talk I did earlier today with Marty Fish, a former American player who is the subject of a new documentary or part of a documentary series on Netflix. I feel like it's a standalone thing, even if it's part of a series uh, called it's on the untold series called Breaking Point. It's about his career and his battles with uh, anxiety and and mental health issues, especially near the tail end of his career. And I know, Courtney, I watched it last night. You also watched it as well. What did you make of this of this uh, documentary? I loved it. I, th- I thought it was it was required um, viewing for for any tennis fan, and I thought they got you know obviously you know Andy Roddick plays a big part of it. It's kind of interesting because it's really the mental health aspect is really kind of maybe the last you know quarter of the documentary, mm-hmm. but up until then, it's really the story of of Marty and Andy and what it was like for for Marty Fish to kind of play in Andy's shadow and um, and what I appreciated about the doc and why I think that it's, it's required viewing obviously for the, the, the mental health and anxiety aspect, but also, you know, it really wrestles or I think it, it, it definitely provides insight into, and then in so doing allows the viewer to kind of wrestle with this concept of, of soft, mm. of, of what it means when we talk about athletes who don't have the killer instinct, who don't, you know, this language that comes up quite a bit, you know, um, and I think that that you see that in the relationship between Andy and Marty and, and kind of how they uh, position their careers a little bit against each other and why Marty kind of struggled to beat Andy for all those years and what it took to flip the switch and then what that entails and, and yeah. what, you know, what what that brings in terms of what it means to be American, number one, what it means to feel just that different level of pressure when you're a different, you know, tier of player as it were. So I really appreciated all that. And I think that, you know, especially right now as, as mental health is becoming more and more, obviously a conversation point, not just within tennis, but within all of sports. Um, Just really also what a panic attack looks like, what it feels like, what can trigger it, what work has to be done to unlearn, certain things and to reframe your relationship with the sport. I think these are questions that have obviously been brought up n- numerous times, not just like recently with, you know, Naomi Osaka, but even in the past, you know, going back to Ash Barty, going back to Rebecca Marino, going back to many athletes that never said anything, yeah. you know, and, and I think that it's really important to watch the doc in order to, for us as whether it's sports writers or as sports fans to build empathy, which is something that, 
I don't know. Sports is kind of fun because you kind of don't have to have empathy. Like you can be like really cruel in your fandom and, you know, like, you know. I mean, I have seen many Novak Djokovic matches at the U.S. Open. So, yes, I understand this phenomenon. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, and so I think that there's a lot to be said about watching it and kind of um, interrogating yourself and your relationship with athletes and how you see success and failure and what you say after they win, what happens if they might hear it. You know, all of these sorts of things. I feel like the Marty Doc um really gets into and i think that it was really 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 well done yeah i think it's super well done sort of an interesting sort of let's say like lead off to our you know fabled future ncr movie club i think this is a worthy sort of high yes. a high a high high achieving first entry because it's really great uh, a lot of things about it i get into a lot of them with marty i didn't have tons of time with marty but talked to him for about 20 minutes he's a busy guy in demand these days deservedly so with this being in the center of this documentary but one of the other things i liked about it too is just that it centers Marty Fish, who was very much, and I said this to him, and he he didn't disagree in the interview. Like he was very much a supporting character, you know. Yeah. Even even when he did move ahead of Roddick, Roddick was still such an alpha in the U.S. tennis world. And he obviously, was the center he had, of the universe of U.S. tennis, yeah, men's uh, tennis. Men's tennis so, yeah, and, and then he had Serena, yeah. obviously too, and then the big three, the big four at that point, really, because it was a four during Fish's career. Those were yeah, and, and so but I just like you know, as someone who wrote an ebook about Monique Feely, I like I like spending time with the sort of lesser known stories, and I did feel like Marty was an interesting cusp of that, where I did feel like oh wow, like I had never actually tried to view like that period foremost through a Marty Fish lens before. I just thought it was a really interesting sort of thought experiment in a lot of ways too, and yeah, I high praise for this. It is out on Netflix now. Y'all should watch it. Uh, but in the meantime, enjoy this interview with Marty. So, Marty, congratulations on the documentary. I watched it last night uh, after having been busy here. We got an early night last night at the US 7, so I turned it on and was mm-hmm. very impressed by it. And just congratulations to you for being Thanks, part of this, this this project. What what initially attracted you to to wanting to tell your story in this sort of this sort of format? In that way, yeah. I mean, look, they came um, they came to me. It was sort of the perfect storm. They came to me with uh, the name Netflix, which is obviously pretty pretty popular. They, they came with uh, Players Tribune, which I love. Um, I love the, 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 the outlet that it gives athletes um, to sort of speak in their own terms. And then, uh, and then the Way Brothers were sort of the final piece to that, that, that sort of brought it all together. And, and maybe the, probably the most important piece, not probably, the most important piece was, was the, the directors and the writers who, who were going to portray you how, they're, how they wanted to. And, and uh, you know, obviously you have right to refuse to you know put something out or whatever but i I trusted them completely um uh, i don't know if you know this but they actually grew up with sam query Hmm. so they're they're like childhood friends with sam so i actually met them i played sam in la back at like the you know that tournament and um they were like in the crowd and as like the sam samurais remember those guys (laughs) yeah yeah and and they were part of that. So like they were oh, cool. at a, you know in like high school and college, they were Sam Samurais. I actually met them once or twice prior. You know, I'd seen a lot of their work that they had done, Battered Bastards of Baseball, Wild Wild Country, uh, just unbelievable docs. My favorite docs that I've ever seen. Um, and I was like, wow, these guys want to do mine. Um, and so I was uh, um, that that put put it over the edge to you know because I've always wanted to help. You know, how how can you help? How can I be, you know, apart from just like putting my name on a foundation or or doing a speaking engagement here or there? Like, how can I really put something out there, whether it's a book or a or a documentary or a movie, whatever it is to like really help people? Um, 
that are in a similar situation and, and or whatever. And, um, and so that's where, uh, that's where, that's where they came, they came through and, and gave them, um, you know, full transparency and, and, um, it was just really, um, a perfect storm. I, I, one of the things I really liked about this movie is that it sort of gave you, you were someone who was obviously top 10 and number one American for, for a while, but, or for a bit. And then, but you were also sort of largely a supporting character on the tour in a lot of ways and sort of the way it was covered and the way fans processed it. And this gave you a lot of space on your own. And I'm just wondering what it feels like for you being part of this project, seeing it in its final form uh, and doing all these media, you know, junkets for that, that you're doing for yeah. now, what it's like to sort of be at the center of, of a project like this and, and how, how, what, how you process that. It's different. I mean, it's different for sure. You're right. I mean, you're, you know, I'm, I don't have an ego with that, you know, in terms of, you know, Andy was our alpha male. James had an amazing career. Um, you know, John Isner's had an amazing career. Um, Sam Query's had a great career, you know, so like, you know, I, I did get there. I did get to that top spot. Um, coveted at the time, very coveted, you know, I mean, Andy had it for a while. James had it for a minute there, you know, I think the 06 or 07, you know, just that like in off season, basically, Andy just had the stranglehold on it. And, and, you know, so he took a lot of the attention, um, uh, the, the media attention, he took the, the, the criticism away from us as well. And we could sort of fly under the radar and not worry about it um, too yeah. much. Um, it's kind of a similar thing to like, I, I brought Sam up now three times, but like, <laughs> which is weird, but like, but, um, <laughs> You know, like Sam, like John has has bared the brunt of all the you know all the criticism and accolades of the number one American now in this generation, and the rest of the guys can sort of you know slide under and 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 just be in the background. And so I I'm well aware of that. I understand that. Um, and uh, yeah, so I didn't have the stresses that I had in my life like Andy did until 2010, 11, 12 kind of time. So. So, you know, I'm thankful to Andy for, for, you know, taking that off of us and, and then, uh, you know, for, for, uh, you know, just being such a great role model in terms of how to, how to handle all that stress. Uh, he did, you know, an incredible job with it. No, Andy's a big part of the documentary too. And he's sort of, you see, like you said, sort of the balance of being, feeling overshadowed at times or overlooked versus him, you're right, being on the front lines and taking all the pressure, all the abuse and that you know, come with that, especially at a time when American results were, you know, tailing off a bit after the Agassi Sampras era and going into Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. Times I think, yeah, the documentary sets that part up well uh, in terms of those trajectories. I guess I, one, yeah, that's one thing we've been talking about here. This is the first uh, U.S. Open and U.S. Open history, at least since Open Era, where there's no Americans in the quarterfinals of either men's or women's, and they're previously I yesterday. I heard that yesterday. It's incredible. Well, every yeah. year they've been one of the semifinals. Even that was even more amazing. Oh, yeah, every single like since '68 or whatever, probably even before that. Well, every women. year it was women for a long time. It was there. Serena doing a lot of the heavy lifting there <laughs> for sure. But yeah. I guess I guess you know talking to some of the newer guys at this, you know, Opelka, Jensen, Brooksby, who, Brooksby was the last one standing of the of either draw. How you sort of feel about that conversation about the sort of pressure of being top American, which you inherit, you know, late inherited late in your career, mm-hmm. um, and how people should have that conversation, how what expectations are fair or unfair. It's always sort of you know, you've you've been in the situation, I'm sure, and I've been in the situation like whoever happens to be the last American to bow out sort of gets the question. It's like, well, here's another slam where American didn't win. Um, yeah. But but how do you? What is that sort of burden like for you as, as players? And obviously you're Davis Cup captain now, so you have a different sort of maybe view on the different bigger picture. Hat on, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, it's a, um, 
it's a it's the place you want to be. You know, you want to be the last American standing. I mean, you don't you know, you want to be the last American, but you definitely want to be standing. Um, yeah. And you uh, and, and so that's that's a, a that's a good, those are good stresses to have. Um, the part where it gets overwhelming is when you put it on yourself, the expectations on yourself to where you're like, all right, 2011, I made the, the round of 16 of the U.S. Open and I lost to Songa in five sets. It was a great match. It was one of those like windy days before the roof. And like I lost the match in five sets. No, you know, no, no burden to lose to Songa or no, you know, like that's not a it's not a, a, a bummer to lose to him specifically, but like he's a great player. So like but, I, you know, the, the expectations you put on yourself or you're just like that's not good enough. And that's a pretty good result, dude. Like fourth round, I didn't lose a set until I lost to Songa and like a really good match on stadium court like. It happens, you know, like, you know, like great, you know, move on to the next tournament. That was a success. Move on to the next tournament. I didn't win it, but like I had to beat him and then Djokovic and then Nadal and Federer. Like, so I probably wasn't going to win that tournament, you know, but like I put that stress on myself to where I was just like, that wasn't good enough. Now I got to keep going. Like the never be satisfied. I, I send a lot of text messages to our players, our men's players. Davis cup wise and, and say, you know, when they have a good result and just be say, never be satisfied. Um, and I just mean it in terms of just don't say, okay, I had a great result. Now I'm going to go away for a couple months, you know, like follow it up with a, a real player is going to follow up a great result with another solid result. Yeah. Um, or, or weeks there later, you know, and they're not going to go away for, for a month um, and not, you know, lose first round. I'm, I'm telling Taylor Fritz that a lot, to be honest. He's the guy that like, he plays to his competition pretty poorly, you know, like he plays up and down his competition, Yeah. you know, when he's playing someone that I, or we feel like he should be, he sometimes struggles with those guys. And so it's like, Hey man, don't be satisfied when you play a match against, you know, uh, Federer Djokovic in, uh, in, what was it? Wimbledon? I can't remember. What was it? Five Djokovic, seven? Australia, Australia, yeah. Australia. Yeah. You know, and like, don't be satisfied with that. Like, that's an L. Take what what was good out of it and, and move on. But don't um, don't don't you know make sure that you're not too hard on yourself to where you're like, man, that was a terrible result, or I should have won that, whatever. Um, that's where it gets um, that's where it gets uncomfortable. Yeah, no, I get that for sure. A couple other sort of sort of thoughts. I've I'm sure you're doing a lot of interviews about this in this day, so I want to hit oh, some topics. Oh, Maybe people are hitting less. Well, actually, I'm curious because of the because of the painting behind you uh which has the olympic rings on it that was one thing that wasn't mentioned in this fairly you know biographical documentary about you is the olympics and your silver medal didn't get mentioned at all i'm hmm. curious if that was a, a conscious choice because it seems like one of the things like for people who are new to marty fish we've been watching this for the first time on netflix is kind of i think at least how i would measure it to casual fans like yeah. kind of your standout achievement being olympic silver medalist and didn't get mentioned at all so i'm curious what your thoughts are on yeah. that or a relationship to it in your career my relationship with my Olympic medal is a love-hate relationship because yeah. um, because I was just so close to the to the gold. You know, like I mean, we have in tennis and like you know golf, uh, basketball, probably like there are other things that we do that we'd rather win that year. Um, a gold medal sounds incredible. Do not yeah. get me wrong, like amazing. Like to to add to the medal count in two thousand four was really cool. I was devastated when I lost that match. Um, um, still am, 
Yeah. It, it is it that match and the two matches that I lost in in uh, Austin, Texas for Davis Cup um, 2011 against Spain were the those three matches were the three that still hurt to this day. No, no other matches, just those. Um, I've lost some Davis Cup matches. They hurt in the moment and after and whatever, but not still. Those still hurt. Um, so I, I haven't, every Olympics, I kind of bring it out or look at it or make sure it's still in my safe, but I don't display it. I don't, uh, you know, I don't have it there to show my buddies when they come over, but a gold medal, you're damn sure I'd show, yeah. show them. And it'd be up in my TV room where all my other trophies are. And it'd be up there in a glass case and locked, so you can't steal it. But it'd be there, and I'd show the shit off of that. Sorry, I'd show the hell out of that you thing. You can curse; it's fine. And uh, thank you. And um, and uh, uh, you know, and the silver medal, it just doesn't doesn't do it like that for me. And I was, you know, I was really devastated about it. And I'm not sure why they chose not to put that part in. Um, maybe uh, timing. I don't know. They're they're smarter than I am. Yeah, and anyway, it was sort of a more minor thing. I was noticing chronologically sure. they're going through your career, and I was like, oh, they missed this, this pretty mm-hmm. big moment. Uh, you were in a a, a racket magazine through a panel mm-hmm. discussion uh, before the tournament with Billie Jean King and mm-hmm. and Nick Kyrgios and Naomi Osaka, and obviously Naomi Osaka and mental health has become a big topic once again after this tournament. Her saying she's taking a break, and there was an interesting sort of moment in that discussion I thought was interesting all around the board, but where Billy says to Naomi, like, you know, you don't have to play ever again if you don't want to. Like, you know, you, you can stop, you can take a you can walk away, take a break, whatever it may be. And I'm just wondering, and that's something that sort of that your wife says to you at a pivotal moment of this documentary too, like you don't have to actually play this match that that's causing you so much uh unwellness yeah. in this moment. Like how how much do you think that tennis players who are on the on the treadmill or in the hamster wheel sort of understand that they're that this is not mandatory in a lot of ways you know there's contractual obligations there's things like that but that they have the power to decide not to want to do this and to exercise that right at any point phenomenal point phenomenal question right like like we're just not trained like that we're not uh at such a young age we're trained to never show weakness never show fear never show emotion or or negative emotion you know i mean some of us are better at it than others i'm i was terrible at it but like i you know but like i would never show you that i was tired you know i'd never put my hands on my knee so like in terms of that we're 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 trained like that and so um so it it was it's it was eye-opening to hear or it was like a weight lifted off my shoulders when my wife told me that because i was like oh wow you're right i can i don't have to play and i feel like naomi probably feels like she has to play you know she got so many blue chip sponsors and i mean she's the most marketable female athlete ever um certainly in terms of financially and and so she probably feels like she's obligated to play um And, um, you know, and that's maybe why she's like, okay, I'll put myself out there and I'll play, but why do I have to talk, you know, talk about it afterward, you know, or, or something, maybe she feels uncomfortable about that, 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 you know, maybe she took that to heart, <laughs> who knows, yeah. you know, I mean, is she really, you know, cause I know she respects Billy like crazy and, yeah. and, 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 you know, and, and appreciates everything that Billy has done for women's tennis and tennis in general women's rights, that whole thing. Um, those are two, that was fascinating conversation because those are two completely opposite thoughts in terms of the media. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy was, you know, would seek you out and and talk to you and say, hey, write about us, you know, like do this. And Naomi's the other, stop writing about, me. you know, like yeah. 
And, um, and so it was fascinating to hear that, you know, sort of dialogue back and forth from two sort of, you know, total icons of, yeah. of their eras. Um, obviously Billy still, but, um, but she, uh, yeah, she's, she's awesome to talk about or to talk to Billy is just about, you know, what she went through and like, she probably looks at, at these athletes now and is just like, you babies, you know, or something, you know, just, I mean, I know she's not thinking that, but you know what I mean? Like, you know, if you, if you knew what, what I had it, you know, back yeah. in the day kind of thing, what the finger, the finger wagon, but no, Billy's great. And she's yeah. a, she's a, you know, an incredible advocate for tennis and women's tennis and all yeah. that. I just thought it was an inter- really interesting discussion because it was sort of that sort of tension of different generations and different philosophies coming together without yeah without getting too finger waggy or too too acrimonious yeah, but still yeah. having clear sort of differences in, in in how they see the world this sort of obviously Naomi and and the French Open and and now is had this conversation about mental health that's been more prominent in tennis and you've been obviously uh or maybe people don't, people probably know I've been you know behind the scenes working a lot of this stuff on the player side with the the quiet rooms and things like that getting engagement and I'm wondering just how as someone who's been through this and is still you know managing these sorts of issues how much you think that these topics are good just to have awareness of, just to have the conversation and just use a sort of mental health buzzword and also, but how much there has to be real sort of concrete, more tangible yeah. uh, work and, and progress to make a meaningful difference. Like how much can the USA just, or, or an, an organization, not to single them out to say like, we care about mental health versus actually being m- more proactive about it. Yeah. I mean, it's one of, it's probably the most difficult physical injury I call it a physical injury because it's your brain that's struggling, you know, I mean, there's a chemical imbalance in there and you're just not, you know, you're not feeling well. And that's why, um, uh, it's probably the, you know, it's gotta be the hardest thing to diagnose in terms of, you know, you and I are talking right now. I have no idea what's in your head. I could see though, if your arm was in a sling, you know, like you have an injury or you're limping around or a player is limping around. So it's really difficult to, to diagnose it when you just can't see it um it's internal and so 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 people that think that the stigma that's important to understand is that i think is that is that it's a physical thing it's not like hey you're soft mentally and that's why this is happening to you it's a is it, it this is like i'm a male tennis player um in a in a era that played where it was like show no show no weakness you know like be strong and you know don't tell me that you're injured go do more you know do another sprint you know sort of thing and and that and that that's a fine way to train but that's not a fine way to live your life um and and so so people that don't understand mental health or haven't had that aren't educated enough on it um haven't had something or someone um around them that's close to them that that dealt with it um they just it's hard to understand it. And that's, you know, that's another, I'm again, like I'm a, a, a male player playing in a, a male sport that like, that like is, I'm not trying to like demean the, the female side of it, but like the reason that I was able to not play at, at against Roger was because of a female, my wife who yeah. had, didn't live and grow up in my world or this world didn't understand um, what I had sort of trained the way yeah. sort of machismo that gets beaten into you. Yeah. 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 And, and so she, when she says you don't have to play, you're just like, what do you mean? I don't have to play, you know, like, in, in, at a, you know, like right, right then you're just kind of like, 
of course I have to play, you know, like there's thousands of people out there right now. I don't have to play. No, you don't actually have to play. So, you know, it's not a manly like thing. That's what trying, that's what I'm trying to, um, trying to sort of put, I mean, like I, I practice, uh, Muay Thai, you know, like, and I, I spar with a lot of people and like, I'm, I'll fight anyone. Like, it's not a, it's not a physical thing to where you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm not as tough as you. Like I, I can, I can do some cool stuff, dude. Like on the, you know, like, and I'm not, you know, I'm like, I'm just, I'm trying to say, and my point is like, it's not a manly thing. It's a, it's, it's, it's okay to be open and, and vulnerable as a, as a, a, a male, you know, sort of athlete or, or just a male in a, in a, in a job. It doesn't matter. Mental health doesn't care what you do for a living. You can be a journalist. You can be a tennis player. Like you and I can have the same damn thing in our bubbles, in our world. It does not care. You have stresses in your life too. You got to get, you got to get, um, uh, uh, you know, you you have timing times you have to get stories in and all that yep. deadlines, they call them all that yep, stuff. Right. And like, you don't get it. You got to write, Oh man, I got to write another article. Like this better be better than the last one. And last one wasn't that well received. And somebody said this about that, you know, like you have yep. stress too. It doesn't care. It doesn't yeah. matter. Everybody, everybody deals with that. Last sort of question because we're getting told to wrap up. But one more, just sort of cap on that. No like problem. you mentioned, different occupations, and I'm wondering, is there something about tennis that's like uniquely tough or corrosive potentially to mental health? I mean, like it just seems like tennis players, because it's an individual sport, you're out there, sort of head to head. 127 players in the draw are going to end with a end with a loss of some kind. It's different than you know golf where you come in second or third. It's not like you just you don't not considered as clearly a loser and obviously you do a lot of golf now so i'm curious like if you think there's something about tennis that's uniquely uniquely sh trying for mental health and if there's anything that could be done to ameliorate that or if it's just sort of the way it's it's going to be in a sport that's as binary with success as, as tennis is tennis is the toughest sport in the world in my opinion um it is a non-contact individual sport that is brutal on your body brutal on your mind um, and you better be damn good at your craft. Otherwise, you're not going to succeed. So you better be fit. You better be mentally tough. And you better be good. <laughs> Otherwise, you're not going to you're not going to make it. You're not going to be very good. Um, there's very few sports that are like that. And none of those sports are, hey, leave the locker room. I'll see you when you're done. You figure it out. None of them are like that. At least the mainstream sports, I'm sure, like, you know, cycling or or marathon runner you know stuff like that is probably brutal too i'm saying mainstream sports there are none like that and then add on the travel add on the fact that none of us went to school you know we all we all you know trained from a young age um how educated are we hmm. how motivated are we to get educated or to learn new things or is this just our world um and uh it's brutal man it's a it's a brutal game i don't know how to change that part of it i mean i love the gladiator aspect of it where like you go in and i'll go in no help needed let's figure it out i'm gonna beat you you're gonna beat me and we're gonna figure it out you know i mean yeah. even i and again i mentioned the mixed martial arts i follow the ufc a ton and i practice it and and i i'm enamored by what they do and fascinated by the by the by mixed martial arts but they have a corner man. They have somebody right there after five minutes to tell them exactly what they think they need to do. And you can also hear them. They're allowed to coach. And it's it's just different. And I know that it's not a physical, you know, it's not a contact sport where you just get punched in the face, but it's brutal on your body and brutal on your mind. 
Well, I think this documentary showed a lot of that really well and, and, and really happy that you were able to show your story. And I do think it'll have a positive impact for many people, other athletes. I've already seen a few mm-hmm. tennis players chiming in already in this first 24 hours it's been out. Madison Keys, Chris Eubanks, and people like that already I saw, chiming yeah. in. So, yeah. yeah. Appreciate so I hope you they can all do that. You. Of course. And, appreciate uh, you watching. appreciate you writing about it. And, um, yeah, it's all good. Thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. You Thanks, buddy. Courtney. Enjoy the open. See you. So thank, thank you, you Courtney, for being on here. And I hope you had a super trip back home. Yeah, it was fine. It was it was the worst pair of flights that I've taken just because of just weird, like, passenger nonsense. Like, just of, like, there was one woman who spent half the flight of a four-hour flight, like, playing some sort of video game on full volume on her phone. And she was in a middle seat across my aisle. And everybody was just, like, kind of glancing over, being like, what are you doing? At we some point, passive aggressive does not work on a four-hour flight. Yeah, you got to you got to tell a lady. Just a lot of lot of things like that, where I just was like, I do not understand the attitudes going on here. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, got home and it's fine, so it's fine. Hap- home is where the where the happy is sometimes, and so yes, I do miss you here. We'll catch up after the open with all these lots of stories from the two weeks. If y'all have questions, thoughts, comments, whatever that you want us to address in our post show. Because uh, obviously we haven't been doing it. it's sort of granular coverage as we did for past slams. It's pretty impossible, honestly, during this home slam being back in person. But would love to. Also for Patreon backers, uh, who we will list shortly, uh, still have some gifts for you if you're on site at the U.S. Open in these coming days. And I want to rendezvous. Have done that for several people already, and it's been a treat to also put some names to faces and thank people in person for their support. So if you are going to be at the Open, uh, would love to hear from you as well. And that'll be it for us. We'll see you after the tournament. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. So thank you to all of you for the support of the show you give us on Patreon, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. We want to especially thank, as always, our Slam Champ level backers. We thank every show. James Hindle, Susanna W., Anna Valinder, Mary Carrillo, Leah Williams, Sean Mulroy, Liz Kinnell, Jonathan Weinbaum, Antonio Maycumber, Ashley Keel, Timothy Liu, Jean Simeon, and our GOAT backers, Nicole Copeland, Pam Shriver, and J.O.D. 